Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe here in Lourdes, France. Uh, we're on the pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. On the final days, Deacon Jeff. That's right. We're starting to wrap things up, and boy, we've got a great guest here with us. We do, to celebrate something very important. That's exactly something right. Something 900 years old. That's What is 900 years old in this world? I don't know. What is 900? Not me. We're going to find out. Okay. Uh, we have with us, we have His Most Eminent Highness from Matthew Festing. Prince and Grand Master of the Order of Malta, and uh, Your Highness, thank you for, for spending time with us here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. A pleasure on this rather bright and sunny morning. Which is unusual for Lourdes, isn't it, Your Highness? Well, it's either one thing or the other here, isn't it? You never get a happy medium. It's always so hot you can't think. Or it's raining like you've never believed anything could rain. Well, here we are, uh, Your Highness, and we are, we're 900 years into something. Right, sure. The Order of Malta is 900 years old. Well, it's a bit older than that. It's a bit more than that. What we were celebrating this year was the first papal document which refers to the order. So if ah. you like, what we're really celebrating this year is the sort of 900th anniversary of the issuing of our birth certificate. That's right. Uh, how I like to put it. 900 years. I mean, now, you were obviously just a very small chap at that point. I mean, you were... <laughs> You were very young. But this is, a, this is a long time. And in this world, if something is old, it's 100 years old or it's 200 yeah, yeah, years old. Sure. But 900 is a, is a long it's time. It's a long time. And so much has happened. And, you know, a lot of people might be wondering who are, are listening now are probably wondering, what is the Order of Malta? Can you help explain to well, our listeners? Well, I can try. Um, what happened was that a bit over 900 years ago, um, when the first crusade captured Jerusalem, they found somebody called Blessed Jared, and uh, he was looking after pilgrims who arrived in Jerusalem, and he was doing that under the Muslim domination of Jerusalem. Sort of running a hotel, Your Highness? Uh, Yes, I think particularly dealing with sick pilgrims, because people who had, you know, after all, if you'd walked all the way to Jerusalem from Europe... That'd be a long walk. It's a hell of a long walk. Right. So a lot of these people were in a state of, I suppose, distress by the time they got there, either medically or financially. So he looked after them. And the story always is that he also looked after people of any faith. So he looked after Muslims, he looked after Jews, he looked after Christians, and so forth and so on. And these people who arrived on the First Crusade, they were very inspired by this man. And so they decided that they would join him. They then became as it were, his co-workers, you could put it like that. So that's where it started from. Fundamentally, that's what he inspired them to do, and, of course, that's what, by extension, he inspires us to do today. Here we are at Lourdes with nearly 1,500 sick people here with, of all sorts, um, and that's what the order is doing exactly the same 900 years later. So it's interesting that it's something which has gone on for all this long period. So, Your Highness, you hear all kinds of things about the Order of Malta being an order of knighthood or a sovereign state and, or these traditions or people from noble families, but of all the things that you hear, is, is that our fundamental mission, to take care of the sick and the poor? Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I mean, there are, all these other things are aspects of a rather complicated organization, you know, because that fundamentally is, is what we did then and what we do now. Well, how did the order get into defending the faith? I know that's another sort of 
aspect of the charism? The origin of that was literally defending, because when the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem came under pressure, as it did very soon after the conquest of, of, of the Holy Land, um, because these guys had been soldiers, because they had been crusaders, and by then had become um, carers, if you like, for the sick, and because of their military training, they were then asked to help defend the Holy Land, which is what they did. So they then developed a dual role. And kind so of two odd roles to put together, caring for the pilgrims and, and also sort of fighting. It's well, I, it, yes, I don't think it is really. I mean, people say this, but it's rather like, you know, the, it's the concept of the Christian warrior, isn't it, really? I mean, it's rather like saying, you know, you can't possibly be... Um, you know, somebody who's a soldier or a sailor or whatever can't possibly be a caring person. Well, that isn't true. It's, the answer That's is right. they can. In fact, you do the soldiering due to the caring. I think there's a connection. Yeah, of course there's a, there is a connection. Of course there's a connection. But you have to, of course, you know, you have to keep an eye on, on the balance between the two. But it's, I mean, that's where that, that peculiar dual role came from. And, and that, the, the military and then the naval... Um, tradition, if you like, practice of the order, that went on right up until we were thrown out of the island of Malta by Napoleon. And then, since then, we've completely lost the, the military side of it all, and so now we're purely um, concentrating, as we did originally, on the caring side. Right. So that's where that comes from. Um, and, you know, it's like all th many things in the church have sort of, you know, the, the, the recent trends of being the business of returning um, you know, returning to, to, the, to a degree to the sort of fundamental ways that we run our lives. Well, the Order of Malta is, is the same in that respect, I would think. Well, and even Deacon Jeff, this show, the Catholic Cafe, is part of a returning to the original meaning of defending the faith, of nurturing, teaching, telling people about our Catholic faith. That's that exactly right. That, that, that's our goal, and I think that sure. fits in nicely with the, with the mission of the Order. The original mission of Yeah, and it's like all these things. One of the reasons that, that either the Order of Malta or indeed the Catholic Church, for that matter, have, have survived and continue to survive, because we've had, I think, the sense to adapt ourselves to, as it were, modern methods of communication. Right. You know, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, the way of communicating was to, was to as it were, to t speak to people in the church. Literally, physically, in right. a church. And then you also see, you, you, I, there's probably nowhere in the States, and actually it's there mainly in Italy, these extraordinary pulpits. Have you ever seen a pulpit in the street? No. One no. Old, ah, very interesting. <laughs> I went somewhere the other day, I was trying to remember where it was. It's, it's the pulpit from which Thomas Aquinas spoke. Ah. And, and they had them on, they, there are a few um, cities in Italy, central and southern Italy, where in, literally in the street, on the corner of a house, there is a pulpit in the street. And it's where people would talk, people would talk from. Where's so it's exactly rather like somebody broadcasting. It's very interesting. It's a, it's a you know, it's, it's the origin or the This is the modern of continuation of that, then. Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, yes. we tried smoke signals and things like that, but that didn't really didn't work. work. <laughs> Our audience was not very receptive. <laughs> well, Your Highness, in the 900 years of, of the order, what do you think is one of the most significant contributions we as an order have made in our history to civilization? One. Yeah, <laughs> just pick one. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. I suppose the development of the Christian contribution to medicine is very much something part of our history. The whole business of, of, of living out what Christ told us to do in the Gospels. I mean, if you, if you know, I mean, the, the, there are 
many things he said, but of course the, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan must be the sort of prime, always, I always think of it as the absolutely prime example of telling a Christian how to behave, and um, that's what we're trying to do. So it's difficult to, you know, to pinpoint one particular thing. I mean, certainly from the point of view of the defense of Christianity, literally, literally the defense, you can point to things like the siege of Malta, but that's all part of the, that's all part of the sort of military side of, of what the order did. Um, it's difficult to put your finger on a specific event from the point of view of the actual care of the poor and the disadvantaged and the sick. But, but certainly um, a lot of the uh, many medical advances were originally thought of, if you like, in our hospitals. Because what happened, wherever the order has been, in Jerusalem, then in Acre, then in Cyprus, then in Rhodes, then in Malta, and now all over the world, um, the very first thing we've always done on arrival somewhere is to establish a hospital. Because wasn't it, I think most people don't realize that originally hospitals were places for the dying, and the idea of treating people was something that sort of developed over time, that, hey, we may be able to make some people better. Yeah, that's true. And you see, the other very interesting thing, which is, of course, gave us an advantage, is that originally a huge amount of the origin of modern medicine, of course, comes from the Arabs. The Arabs were extremely adept at developing medical techniques, and after all, you get this from, you know, get this even from ancient Egypt. You get evidence of it, and of course, the presence of the order in the Holy Land um, gave it an advantage, if you like, of picking up on those particular traditions and, and that, you know, that knowledge. For example, the, the whole business of sterilization of medical instruments and so forth and so on, and the prevention of the passage of disease. An awful lot of that was developed by us. In the, in by the, the way order of Malta? Really? Yes, because, for instance, if you went to the hospital in Malta itself, um, and but roads before, that was when they started feeding patients with metal spoons and metal plates, which in, that case, in this particular case was silver, and, of course, you can clean silver, you can make it sterile much more easily than you can do with earthenware. Right. So that was, a, you know, that's, it was one of the contributions. Right. Beautiful. There's so much more we want to talk about in terms of the contributions. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a real quick break, Your Highness. We'll be right back with you in a sec. I want to remind folks at home we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. Send it to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. Bestrzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. The world has long wrestled with belief in God, belief in a supreme and loving creator who transcends all things, all spaces, and all time. And countless words of wisdom have been written through the ages by Catholic and non-Catholic thinkers alike about the meaning, importance, and construct of faith. American writer and poet Elizabeth York Case writes, There is no unbelief. Whoever plants a seed beneath the sod and waits to see it push away the clod, he trusts in God. St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church, writes, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. 
If a man wishes to be sure of the road he treads on, St. John of the Cross tells us, he must close his eyes and walk in the dark. Faith, says Helen Keller, is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt writes, He who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. St. Augustine, early father of the church, reminds us, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself speaks of the great power and promise of this gift of faith. He tells us, For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. As defined in our Sunday Visitor's Catholic Dictionary, faith is the first of the theological virtues. Together with hope and love, faith brings about the life of sanctifying grace in the human person. Faith is truly a gift from God. We cannot manufacture it or create it out of nothing. It is not a faucet that we can turn on or off. No, it is indeed a beautiful and precious gift given out of love to each of us from God. And by definition, because it is a gift, it must be received. And once received, it must be nurtured, tended, cared for, cultivated, and developed. Faith must be lived or it will die. It is only in living a life of faith that we are truly alive. I'm Bess Rozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, made ever more luxurious by our, our guest, His Most Eminent Highness, Fra Matthew Festing, Prince and Grandmaster of the Order of Malta. Your Highness, thank you so much for being with us again. So we want to continue this conversation about all these great things that the, that the Order has done over these 900 years. And, I, you know, I find it interesting that when I assist at Masses for the Order and we, we read the prayers and petitions, the prayers of the faithful, and uh, always in there there's a mention of, like, the works of the Order. Sure. And maybe some people, maybe we should take this time just to highlight modern day, what's going on in the world, and what, maybe some of, the, some of the interesting places where the Order is working and, and what they're doing in those places. Sure. Well, it's, it's very, very varied. Um, some things are what you might call permanently ongoing, if you like. There are things which are simply central to what we do, and they go on year after year as, as the centuries roll by. And then there are other things which arise which are reactions to specific problems, specific events. So, for instance, um, you know, we've all, over the years, had... Um, plenty of experience of tsunamis and earthquakes and whatever they all are. Disasters. Disasters of various sorts. So those happen continuously, and you never quite know when they're going to occur. Um, The thing which at the moment is, of course, very topical is the whole business of the situation in Syria. Um, And we're at the moment looking after refugees on the borders of Syria, and it may well be that in due course we will be working in Syria. At the moment, we're not. And then there are certain areas of the world which, of course, are permanently in one form of crisis or another. And, and obviously, I mean, the whole business of, of, of Central Africa 
you only have to go there to, to, to wonder how on earth um, it's ever going to be solved, any of these awful problems. And the sheer size of the population, the sheer poverty, the terrible conditions which people live in, and so forth and so on. So that, I think, is something we're always going to be involved in. And you mentioned solving problems, and I know that the order is always assisting and helping in the process of solving some of those problems, but also even those problems that may never be solved without divine intervention. Ah, well, right? sure. Well, you're offering uh, that sort of assistance. Right, you're offering comfort and, and well, peace. Well, you're certain that's what we try to do. I mean, you know, the trouble is, it's like anything else. Um, the human time scale and, and God's time scale are two rather different things, um, I think. And, and, you know, you could say, well, for, to use the African model or the African example, you could say, well, we'll just sit back and do nothing at all because mm. nothing we can do. Yeah. But, you know, the human... The human reaction, the natural reaction, is to think to ourselves, well, we've got to start somewhere. So the sooner we start, the better we are. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the, the fact of the matter. And we're called to do something. And we're called well, to do something. Mother exactly. Teresa. Well, we go back to the Good Samaritan and all the rest That's of right. It. Well, yeah. Mother Teresa was talked about, you know, do one at a time. You can't solve poverty, but you can help this person now, and that does, you do that, and that fulfills your vocation of being Christian. Sure. Oh, sure. Well, that's absolutely. I mean, what she said is completely correct. Um, and, you know, there are, there are people who say, well, why should we bother? Charity begins at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think they're wrong, really, because, you, of course, there are things, that, you know, that are sitting on your doorstep to do. But, you know, when you, it's only when you go to some of these places um, and you suddenly see the terrible, the terrible conditions that people mm-hmm. live in, you think to yourself, well, you know, we really have got to start somewhere. We better get started there. Right. You could be sort of daunted by it and say to yourself, well, you know, I simply can't, um, you know, I can't cope with this. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm defeated by it. But you know, that's no, you know, you can't behave like that. Otherwise, none of us would achieve anything. I do agree that the, that the statement, charity begins at home, is true. But I think it begins at home in your heart, right? That charity is in your heart, which means that it goes where you go. And so if you spread that charity doesn't belong to stay at home. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? It needs to, it needs to go out. It needs to reach outward. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. that's perfectly personified by the order. Mm. Well, of course it is. And the other thing, of course, is that whether we like it or not, because of modern communications and everything else, the fact of the matter is that the world is on your doorstep, mm. as they say. So therefore, you know, you can't ignore something which is appearing on your television screen. Every single day. Every single day, as you say. Your Highness, we've talked a about what the, wor- the order does. And today, you know, one of the things that was interesting, that int- this work interested me in the work of the order. So let's talk a little bit, if we could, about members of the order. What do you think it is that, that the order looks for for its members? Well, it, it looks, you know, we're all completely different. We're all, some people have one talent, other people have another. Um, I mean, fundamentally, to be a member of the Order of Malta, you should have um, at least some interest in your fellow men and how you're going to improve things for them on the basis of, um, as it were, Christian... Um, inspiration, if you like. That's where it starts from. And so somebody who doesn't give a damn about the person lying dead in the gutter, well, that's not the person who probably (laughs) is going to be very suitable to start being a member of the order. Incidentally, (laughs) Your Highness, you've used the word damn and you've used the word hell in our conversations. (laughs) I want to point out that these are actually teachings of the Catholic Church, and so it's it's good that we can can bring these these into our conversation. (laughs) Very good. It's perfectly true. (laughs) Don't forget, I'm always... And it's always interesting. After all, we all know in the Gospels, Christ lost his temper. Ah. 
I was like, uh, your highness would never do that. No, no, never. <laughs> of course not. But after all, he, I was very interested by that because after all, one one of the occasions is when he chucked people out of the temple right. for selling things. But I've always been rather sorry for the poor fig tree. Because ah. remember, he lost his rag with a with a fig tree. So I always think that's a very poor little fig tree. Poor little fig tree. <laughs> got cursed by God. Absolutely. But no, it's. I mean, fundamentally, anybody, any any Christian, any Catholic who um, has that as a sort of um, inspiration, well, that's what you know. They are thereby given the opportunity of being perhaps useful to the order or, or making contribution to the order. If if, <clears throat> if you like. I mean, so that's where it comes from, I guess. And within this group that are affiliated with the order, within the members, could you explain, Your Highness, that there is also a religious order component sure. that's fairly small compared to the, <coughs> the full <coughs> membership? Sure, but that's, is, yeah, that's absolutely wait, true. But yeah. it, is, it is fundamental to the thing because it's, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's many peculiar things. It's a huge aid organization and so forth and so on. Um, but it's fundamentally a religious order. And, and the people, everybody who was um, present uh, on the, sort of the actual um, celebration of this 900th anniversary uh, in St. Peter's in, uh, in February, um, we heard both the Cardinal Secretary of State who said the Mass and preached, and then afterwards the Holy Father again preached after Mass, um, and both of them said, first one and then the other, that fundamentally the Order of Malta is a religious order, and that was where Blessed Jared started. That's where the people who were inspired by him started, and that has to continue. So fundamentally, that's that's the basis. Of and it. so we need relig- that there are religious within the Order of Malta. Yeah, absolutely sure. I mean, again, it's it's unusual because most people are um, used, if you like, to seeing any order of the church with, basically speaking, comparatively quite a large number of religious clerics, if you like, either religious or clerics or both, and then a, f- and then a smaller number of supporters. The way we have happened to be is that we, the balance is the other way around, if you like, so that the, um, the supporters are very large and the number of, of, of um, monk knights are, are, comparatively speaking, very small. I mean, we have between 60 and 70 um, in the world in the world, out of 13 and a half thousand people but what is intriguing about it is that when I became one um, there were three of us who became um, professed knights together and I think we were the 27th, 28th and 29th or maybe we were the 28th, 29th and 30th yes. I can't remember but now that number has doubled and that's not in such a very long time. So statistically, there has been a huge increase. And what do you look for, or what does the order look for in its professed? What would be, what are you seeking in a person who wants well, to... Well, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's somebody who, for, you know, either doesn't want to be or is unsuitable to be a priest or indeed a deacon. They could possibly try that as a, as a, as a vocation. But it's, it's somebody who doesn't want to do that, who's... Um, whose motivation is more to do, particularly, I think, with caring for the sick. That's where it should be based. Um, and so that's what we look for fundamentally. And we, we then fundamentally look for someone who is committed to their faith, has a good knowledge of the faith, and is prepared to, to um, conduct their lives in a, in, a, in a Catholic way, if you like. But, you know, we have people of all sorts of walks of life. We have... Um, 
I'm just thinking around all the people we have. We have schoolmasters, we have lawyers. So you could be a lawyer and a religious. Yeah, 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 sure. We have, I think we've got the old banker. Um, we've got all sorts of, all sorts of, 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 um, of, of, of walks of life. What is intriguing, of course, is that some of the modern movements in the church uh, are, seem to be very proud because they say, oh, well, we've invented some new idea uh, which is to do with um, being a good Catholic or good Christian, but also continuing to do their ordinary job in the lay world. Well, it's, you know, they haven't been that clever because we've been doing it, as we've just discussed, for mm. 900 years. Mm. Um, we're rather ahead of the game okay. on that one. Well, <laughs> a lot of things have changed in 900 years, right, you could, you could point to. But a lot of things haven't, as you've said, being a religious order. It hasn't changed in 900 years. So where do you see the next 900 years, right? You might be slightly older in 900 years, right? <laughs> where, where, where do you see the, the order going and its relevance in 900 years? Well, I think that the answer is that, that it, the first thing is that um, it was be, it's been said several times by several people that while there is suffering in the world, the order will continue because it has a reason to continue. So, firstly, I, I personally see it continuing into the future. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the reason we've survived for so long and continue is that I think we've had the sense to adapt ourselves to the changing circumstances. Um, you know, if you said to somebody 100 years ago, um, in 2013, the Grand Master will be doing a radio interview. Um, they would have said, he'd be doing a what? So it's got to continue to adapt itself. Um, I mean, Cardinal, the famous, um, the famous Cardinal um, John Henry Newman said that, um, that in order to, to be perfect, you have to change all the time, which is perfectly true. So we have to go on, I think, we have to be proactive in some ways, we have to be reactive in others. So the answer is we certainly have to re react to the things which are placed in front of us, both in terms of um, opportunities to, to um, do hospitaler work around the world and also adapting ourselves, I think, to the, to the changes in society, that's for sure. Well, it sounds like your work is cut out for you. Right. So it seems. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to thank you so much for being here, taking the time to be with us here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We appreciate your, your time, Your Highness. And uh, maybe uh, to, uh, to wrap things up, we should ask Our Lady, since we're here in Lourdes, to, to bless, to help us, to guide us, to lead us to Jesus, Absolutely. right? And to wrap uh, her loving arms, her comforting arms around the, the melods that we bring here. Absolutely. But then also all the works of the order that she would help in, uh, in, in, in overseeing all these things, again, to lead us all to Jesus as she, as she does so beautifully. So let's, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs> <laughs>